Good morning, church. I have entitled this morning message uh, "Moving from Last to First." It's about receiving a hundredfold blessing from God. Shall we just begin with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. Your mercies endures forever. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> you want to give us to bless us with the very best, Lord. So, Lord, even as we open your word this morning, let your word touch us and speak to us, Lord. That truly we understand your goodness and your love that is upon our lives, Lord. We give thanks and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Throughout our study of the book of Matthew, we learn that there is a price to be paid for following Jesus. There is a cost to bear in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But Jesus reminds us this morning, yes, there is a price to pay, a cost to bear, but there will be a greater reward that will follow. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ngan shared uh, on the story of a young man that approached Jesus and asked, how can I be saved? In that conversation, Jesus' final instruction to that young man was that go sell everything, give to the poor, and come follow me. Disappointed, the young man left because he was not prepared to part with his great wealth. He loved money more than he loved God. And so Jesus remarked to all his disciples, I tell you the truth, <clears throat> that it will be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Surprise, the <clears throat> disciples then asked Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus responded, whatever that is impossible with man is possible with God. Meaning by ourselves, we will not be able to enter the kingdom of God. Only by the grace of God can we then enter into the kingdom of God. Credit to Apostle Peter, who then quickly asked this question of Jesus. So we have left everything for you. What then is it uh, will that be for us? We have given up everything. What do we get? What is it in it for us? That's the question Peter is asking. Many of us maybe are a bit too embarrassed or too ashamed to ask a question like that. But thanks to Peter, we now have Jesus' answer for each and every one of us. And Jesus said to them at the coming of his time, for the 12 apostles, he says, all of you, you will all sit on the 12 thrones to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Obviously, Jesus was referring to his 12 disciples. Now, this is the verse that I want to draw your attention to because it is for all of us. And everyone, are you everyone? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Reading this passage, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that this hundredfold blessing, is it coming together with eternal life or it in this time period? The parallel passage in Mark answered the question for us. Jesus says, you will not fail to receive a hundred times as much when? 
in this present age, the here and the now. And therefore, Jesus promised to us is that you will receive a hundredfold blessing in this time, in this age, and you will receive or inherit eternal life thereafter. And so this morning, I want to cover my message in these four areas. Firstly, to talk about this promise of Jesus. The premise upon which this promise is made, then the posture we need to assume to receive this promise, and ultimately the practices we need to work out in our lives to lay hold of the fullness of God's promises for us. I want you to observe the two words that are used here. Firstly, we receive a hundredfold blessing, but we inherit eternal life. The word inherit in Hebrew is the word kleronomo, which means it is by virtue of family relationship. It is your position or your place that is in the family. It is a birthright. It is unearned. You don't work for it. It is a gift of God because of by virtue that you are family, sons and daughters of the Almighty God. And when you, how do you go about re- inheriting this eternal life? Scripture lays it out for us. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if children as, and as also as of God, and co-as with Jesus. And so that having been justified by God's grace, we might become as, having the hope of eternal life. The word hope in in, uh, Greek here is the word alpedia. It doesn't mean wishful hope. It is an expectation that is sure and certain. It is done. It It is your inheritance the moment you become a child of God. That's eternal life. But what about... The hundredfold blessing. The word that Jesus used uh, for receive is lamano, which actually means you must actively lay hold on it. There is work to be done. Yeah? Re- effort is required for you to receive this hundredfold blessing. You need to be aggressive in seeking and in pursuing it and appropriating this blessing for yourselves. And in this blessing, Jesus mentioned the word a hundredfold blessing. Yes, it may mean the numerical value a hundred, but in the Bible, numbers have significance, and hundred talks about the fulfillment of the fullness of God's promises. It is holistic and all-encompassing. This hundred that is used in the Bible has now also overflow to the secular. That's why you have a hundred marks and not ten marks. You have a hundred percent and not a thousand percent. The word hundred talks about the fullness, the wholeness of it. Yeah? So I'm going to show you a few examples of the use of the word hundred. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise that he will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. There was a famine in Canaan. And so Isaac wanted to take all of his household and go down to Egypt. But that night, God appeared to Isaac and told him, stay here and I will bless you. And so, in obedience to God, Isaac planted in the midst of a famine. And yet, Scripture record, in that midst of that famine, Isaac received a hundredfold blessing that year. 
If a man has 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Will he leave the 99 others on the hill and go out to search for the one that is lost? This is God's promise to you and I, that he will neither leave you nor forsake you. Even if you are the only one in the world, his promise to you here is that he will go out and search for you and bring you back into his kingdom. That is God's uh, hundredfold blessing for all of us. And interestingly, as I, as I search on the hundred, I discover also this. Look at it. So replied, said to David, the king desires no other dowry but a hundred Philistines for skins. King Saul told all the young men of Israel, if you bring me a hundred foreskins of the enemies, my daughter will become your wife. That means this blessing is about getting the daughter of a king to be your, to be your wife. And so David's, after David has done it, he sent mess, messenger to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, and says, give me my wife Michal, to whom I was betrothed for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. What this verse basically tells us is that your wife is your hundredfold blessing. When God created Adam, he then looked at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be alone. He put Adam to sleep and then took a bone from him and created Eve. Adam didn't wake up one morning and suddenly discover Eve in front of him and say, who are you? Actually, you know, God promised, God looked at Adam and said, because it's not good for man to be alone, I will make you a helpmate. God created Eve and brought Eve to Adam. That is God's gift to Adam. He brought Eve to Adam. And that's why scripture teaches us, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from, from the Lord. It is a gift of God. And then Jesus ended his promise with these words. The last will be first. And then he went on to elaborate on his promise through a parable. It is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And then he concluded this parable with the very same words, and the last will be first. Therefore, Jesus left no doubt for any one of us in our mind that this parable is about taking us and moving us from last to the first. It is about receiving the fullness of a hundredfold blessing from God. And so, <clears throat> for all of us now, you really need to pay attention to this particular passage. And so read with me, with uh, all your attention, so that each and every one of us can lay hold of the promises of God. Shall we begin? One, two, three. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into his vineyard. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us.
And so I want to begin by looking at how to receive our hundredfold blessing through the premise of this promise, the posture and the premise. The first premise. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Obviously, God's kingdom in this passage is referred to as the vineyard. And so who is the landowner? God, and we are his workers. And so Jesus <coughs> begins this uh, parable by laying a foundational truth. God is the landowner. God is the owner. Everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him because he is the owner. That in the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible starts with this foundational truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then throughout scripture, he reminded us that the fullness thereof is his. Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world too, and all who live in it. The book of Haggai, God says all the gold and silver is mine. Psalms 50, the beast of the field and the cattle of the thousand hills belongs to me. The Israelites understood God's ownership best when they proclaimed and declared to God, God, what is it that I can give you that is not already yours? They knew and they knew everything they have is a trust from God. And so God owns everything. And who are we? That brings me to premise two. Yeah, that we are his workers. When God created Adam, what was the very first thing he did with Adam? It is this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. The word Eden in Hebrew simply means a delightful place. So no matter where you are born, in India, in China, in Malaysia, in UK, in US, wherever that God has placed you, whichever company that you are in, wherever community that you are staying, God is telling each and every one of us that in this season, that is His delightful place for each and every one of us. doesn't matter where it is. It is because he has put you there, he has a reason. And that is his delightful place for you. To do what? To work and to take care of it. The word work in Hebrew is the word olbat. And it simply means to serve God with your labor. Herein lies the reason why you are born, your purpose on earth, that God created you, that you may serve Him. And you, you are to serve Him with your labor. How? By taking care of what He has entrusted upon you. The word take care in Hebrew is the word samar. That means to cultivate, to expand, to build, to grow it. Whatever God entrusted to you, you are to make it better, to, to grow it, the parable of the talent. Okay? And so interestingly, when God wanted to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, he told Moses to go confront Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh this, let my people go so that they may worship me. The word worship in Hebrew is the word avoda. 30 chapters down the line, we hear Moses then instructs his, uh, all the Israelites with this. Six days shall you work. And then the seventh to be a Sabbath. The word work here is also avoda. So in fact, our work is our worship to God. How we do our work expresses the manner in which we have worship God. Work 
Excellence in our work honors God. Excellence is one of the five cultures of SIBKL. Can you repeat what the five cultures? Excellence, enthusiasm, encouragement, empowerment, evangelism. Very good. That's the five culture. God says our work is our worship to Him. Okay? And because that God has made us a worker, what sort of posture must we then have as God's worker? The first is our agenda, where we posture ourselves. And for everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or field, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit the earth. Our posture must be everything that we do, it is for the Lord's sake. It is about lifting the name of Jesus high. It's about glorifying God. If our agenda is about what do we get, what do I get, then we have moved away from God's purpose in our lives. And that's why we are on His Majesty's service. Yeah, all of us, without fail, you know, our work is to serve our God. And we are on His Majesty's service. Can we all read this together now? One, two, three. Whatever you do, whether in this world or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God rather through Him. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Our work is to glorify our Lord Jesus. But for us to be on this agenda of serving God, we must first be available. That's the posture. You need to want to serve God and make yourself available. Look at this passage. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his field. In this short passage, it is mentioned five times. God went out. He went out at 9 o'clock. He went out at, at 12. At noon, he went out at 3. And he also went out at 5. 5, of course, is the number of grace. Yeah. So God went out to find his people to give work so that they can perform, they can serve him. Our work is a gift from God because it is in our work that we can express the fullness of all that God has placed in each and every one of us. Without work, how do you express your talents, your skills, your abilities that God has put in there? Our work is a gift from God. But look at the last group. The last group who has been there until 5 o'clock and God asked them, the landowner asked them, why are you still here? They said, because no one else has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go to work in my vineyard. Now, let me give you a picture of how uh, <coughs> people hire workers. It is still the same today. So if you go to Taman Tun at the junction of Kijal, or you go in Kampung Pandan under all the flyovers, every morning you will see there will be a group of Ind mainly Indonesians that will gather, and then the contractors will come with his pickup truck and say, you, 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 come with me. They all hopped onto the pickup truck and they are taken to the work site. And so as the day progresses, you know, and who are the people that are chosen first? the very strong, the very able, you know, the, the, the skillful one and the young ones. By the time five o'clock come, who do you think is left? The old, the aged, the unskilled, the weak, the handicapped. These are the ones that nobody wants to hire. But God says, in His grace, do you see His grace? Go and also work in my vineyard.
God wants each and every one of us. It is never about our ability. Will you be available? The workers have to be there for God, for the land only to pick them and send it. If you are not there, you are not chosen. Are you available for God? Doesn't matter, you know. Doesn't matter who you are. Firstly, you need to be available for God. And so, interestingly, when God wanted to take the Israelites out of Egypt, He appeared to Moses uh, uh, in the burning bush to recruit Moses. And Moses, like many of us, began to give excuses. Five excuses in all. These are the first four. What did he say? God, I'm not adequate for the task. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't know enough. People won't take me seriously. I stammer. I can't talk properly. That's the excuses Moses got. And in every of these excuses, God begins to encourage and edify Moses. God promised him, my presence will go with you. My power will empower you. My provisions will be with you. But it is in the fifth excuses that we must pay particular attention to. And this is the fifth excuse that Moses gave. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Now watch the very next verse. Immediately, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Non-availability is not an option in God's kingdom. We must always be serving. You cannot turn to God and say, God, send Pastor Chu. That's not acceptable to God. Yeah? God has chosen you and God wants each and every one of us to serve in his kingdom. And now that we know the posture we need to take, there are certain practices that we need to work out in our lives. And the very first is this. Trust and obey. Watch this scripture. About nine, this is the second group. The first group, the strong, the able one, they have an agreement. One denarius a day. So as the day progresses, none of them was given an agreement. This was it. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And what? And I will pay you whatever is right. Was there any agreement? Absolutely not. So what, do this, what, did, what did these workers do? They trusted in the landowner. They trusted in his goodness. They trusted in who he is. They trusted that he will be just. And so he obeyed. And so they obeyed and went to work. God values work. But he treasures most simple faith in him. He, he values when we trust in who he is. We trust in his goodness. We trust in the promises that is in your word, in his word. Trust in who God is. Come, shall we now read all of this together? One, two, three. God blesses those who obey him. Happy is the man who put his trust in the Lord. The Lord watches over those who obey him those who trust in his constant love. Many a times, when our circumstances and challenges looms large, and the enemies of our life seems like Goliath or like mountains, we want to run away, hide, or just give up. But that's the instance when God says, trust in him because he is trustworthy. When we trust in God, obey His work, 
and work, walk in his truth. There is a sense of surety, a sense of security that surrounds us that will be obvious to others. Decisions that may be challenging and difficult yet can be made confidently because our mind and our heart is focused on God's agenda rather than our own. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the wisest man on earth left this advice for each and every one of us. Let's read all of this together now. One, two, three. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. Then he will add health to your flesh, strength to your bones. You want to stay strong and healthy? Here it is, from the wisest man on earth. First and foremost, trust in the Lord. As disciples of Jesus, you know, the greatest lesson that we can ever learn is put our trust in God. Nothing else comes, uh, can equate or better than this instruction. Trust in the Lord with all our hearts. That's the first practice. The second practice recorded here is this. Don't complain. Don't compare. Let's look at Scripture. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Is this group blessed? They are very blessed. Okay? So when they came, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. Was, was that what they already agreed? So the landowner gave them what was already agreed. When they receive it, they begin to grumble against the Lord. The surest way for us to disqualify ourselves from receiving the hundredfold blessing of God is to complain and to complain, is to grumble and to grumble. In the Old Testament, Scripture recorded for us 14 times that the Israelites grumbled in the wilderness. The first five times, five grace, God forgave. But from the six times onward, every time they grumbled, consequences and calamities followed. When they grumbled about the size of the giants in the promised land, God left them wandering in the desert for 40 years. When they complained about this fellow Moses spending all the time in, uh, up, on the, up uh, on the mountain and decided to build a calf for themselves, God opened up the earth and swallowed some of them. When Miriam complained about Moses, his own sister complained about him, God sent leprosy unto Miriam. When the Israelites complained about the hardship that they are encountering, God sends fire, burn the periphery of the, uh, of the camp as a warning. Having seen all of God's provision <clears throat> through the parting of the Red Sea, water from the rock, God holding the sun from moving the day, yet the Israelites complain and complain and complain. And so, Apostle Paul, in his wisdom, tells us this. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did and were killed by snake. And do not grumble, as some of them did and were killed by the destroying ages. These things happened to them as examples and were written down, were recorded in the Bible as what? As a warning for each and every one of us. Do not grumble. So let's read this together. One, two, 
3. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Do not complain. Why? Complaints lead to death and destruction. Be grateful and thankful in attitude and spirit for what we have received. Question. Why do we complain so much? Scripture here gives us the answer. When they receive, they begin to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last work only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. If we are the first batch of workers, shouldn't we be saying, wow, what a generous, kind-hearted boss that we have. But instead, they look at their fellow workers. Jealousy comes when our eyes is horizontal to the people rather than vertical to God himself. And the problem is, every time we make comparison, we always compare those that are better than us. And so we grumble. We never compare those that are worse off than us when we were gifted. Oh Lord, thank you that you have blessed me with such. Comparison always leads to envy. Envy will always lead to grumbling and complaining. In the fourth, during the wilderness journey, the Israelites grumble and grumble and grumble. In the 14th event that was recorded, the last grumble of the Israelites is this. This is the 14th time that is recorded. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. They are saying, I hate the manna that God has given me. There is no food. Is that true? There is no water. Is that true? It's just that they choose to compare their life with their life in Egypt compared to all the wonderful things that they see the hand of God has worked. And, and I think that was the last straw. God then says, I now want them to taste the venom that they have been dishing out to me. So God sent in the snakes and many were beaten and many died. After this, the Israelites repented and told Moses, we have sinned against God and against you. Please forgive us and ask God to take away that snake. And God, in his gracious mercy, did this and told Moses, and Moses did this. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was beaten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Take note, yeah, it is not a live snake that was lifted up. It was a bronze snake. Snake is always, or serpent is always a picture of sin in the Bible. Metals also have meaning. <clears throat> Bronze is always a picture of judgment. And so, what has happened? The sin that has been judged has been lifted up. In God's providing a solution for the Israelites then, God also pointed to us the coming of the Messiah and the Savior. That the answer is to look to him who is sacrificed on the cross. And so, after this incident, there was absolutely no more record of any complaint. 
sorry. And so, the book of John recorded this for us. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God points to the ultimate answer for each and every one of us. And that is in the person of Jesus who gave his life so that we may have life. He intends to give you all his blessings in this present age and eternal life to follow. Let me then summarize the passage for this morning. For us to receive God's hundredfold blessing, to move from last to first. Firstly, we need to acknowledge that everything belongs to God. We are but His trustees and His workers. As His workers, the posture we need to take is to always put His agenda first. It is all about Him. He to increase and we to decrease. And that, very importantly, we must make ourselves available to serve. The moment we choose not to serve, we disqualify ourselves from receiving God's hundredfold blessing. It is only in your service that God then goes on to bless you. He grows you to be more competent. He enlarges your tent. He provides for you. You, you can then see, see his miracles at work in your life. But you must serve. If you choose not to take the step to serve, God's blessings can never flow into our lives. And as we serve, there are a number of practices we need to work out. Firstly, to trust and to obey in the God, our Lord. Secondly, don't complain. Don't compare. And so let me end with this story. Wilma Rudolph didn't have the best start in life. She was born two months premature to a very poor black family in Tennessee. Her father was a porter, while her mother was a maid in a white household. Because of a premature birth, she was a sickly child, a weak child. And so, by the age of two, she has already contracted whooping cough, double pneumonia, chicken pox, measles, and mumps. In her weakened state, by the age of four, she contracted polio. Doctor says she will never walk normally again. But her mother told her, by the grace of God, you will. She believed in her mother's words. Mrs. Blanche Rudolph is a very devout Baptist. And so every day she would beseech God go on her knees and plead for God's promise and plan for Wilma to unfold. Plan to prosper her, not to harm her. Plans to give her a hope and a future. On her one day off every Wednesday, she would pick up Wilma and carry and walk to the bus station where she would take a bus to a hospital 80 kilometers away to a hospital that was prepared to treat a black child. Many a times, well, on the way, because there was still racial uh, segregation, when there are more white passengers than seats on the bus, Mrs. Rudolph and Wilma is kicked off the bus to stand in the hot sun and dusty road to wait for the next bus to come in an hour's time. Mrs. Rudolph never complained. 
every night before going to bed, even after a hard day's work, she would pray with uh, Wilma and for Wilma. She would massage her legs often, every night. And she also taught the elder uh, siblings to take turns to massage Wilma's legs four times every day. For eight long years, she persevered. For eight long years, she endured the humiliation of the wicked things they said about her daughter. She endured the humiliation in the racially segregated buses. But she continued to hold on to the promises of God for her child. Eight years later, at the age of 12, Wilma began to improve slowly. They were able to remove the walking aids and the braces. And she began to take her first tentative step and wobbly step without any walking aids. She began to improve rapidly. And so she also returned to school where she joined the basketball team. But the basketball coach then sent her off to the athletics coach so that she will learn how to run properly before learning to play basketball. The well-known uh, athletics coach Temple took a look at Wilma, saw the determination in this little girl and vowed to do his best for her. And so she trained Wilma. The first few races that she entered Wilma for were real disasters. She was left far behind. But as the months and the years pass, Wilma begins to improve. She first made it to the school team. Then when she went on to university, she made it to the university team. And then she made it to the state team. And in the final trials of the national team, Wilma just made it to be, uh, to be a member of that team. Then on September 7, 1960, at the Summer Olympics in Rome, Wilma Rudolph became the first American woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympics. She broke the world record for the 100 and 200 meter sprint and she anchored her team to gold in the 4 by 100 meters relay. Who would have thought that Wilma would rise above the braces and the polio? Who would have thought she would rise above the circumstances of her life? Only her mother did because of her mother's faith and trust in God and God alone. And so on, when she returned from the Rome Olympics, Mrs. Rudolph's greatest moment came when the President and the Vice President of the United States sent a chauffeur-driven car to pick her and her daughter, invited them to a banquet in, in the White House and in the presence of the who and who's of America, Wilma Rudolph received the highest American civilian award. Wilma Rudolph has always been a devout Baptist. Six months after her feat, she joined Billy Graham to two major rallies, one in West Africa, one in Japan. And because of her fame that has spread, tens of thousands came just to see her. And as they were there, they heard the message of the gospel by Billy Graham himself. Wilma Rudolph was inducted into many Hall of Fame. Roads, buildings, bridges were named after her. But just as quickly as she gained 
faith, she quickly shunned it and returned to uh, to university to complete her education in early childhood learning. And upon graduation, she went for the, and served as the rest of her life in the black schools in America, inspiring all the young children to rise up to their full potential. In the year 2000, Sports Illustrated named Wilma Rudolph as the sports personality of the century. She beat the likes of Muhammad Ali, Pele, Maradona, uh, uh, Billy Jane King, Mark Spitz, and even her very own idol, Jesse Owens. Who would have thought that this girl could rise above everything else and achieve something that no other woman has ever achieved in their life? Only her mother believed in the promises of God. And so, Vima, in her autobiography, she wrote this, that in each and every one of us, there is a God-given plan for good and for significance. But we need to lay hold of God's promise for our lives. And this is the message that Jesus brings to us this morning. We need to lay hold of the fullness of His promises for our lives. I know many attempts when troubles and challenges looms large, we want to give up. But God says, trust in Him. Trust in who He is. Trust in the promise that He has put it in writing for each and every one of you. And so this morning, I just want to open the altar for any of you who wants to put your trust in God for a need that you may have, for a challenge that you are going through now, that you know and you know that it is to God that you need to turn to for Him to answer your prayer. And so, as a worship team leading us in this song, the altar is open. Just come. It's between you and God. And let lay it before your God. as well the two further categories of people which I feel in my spirit is very applicable especially in this service the first category is for those of you who literally have been disappointed in the past before either by your ex-pastor or by your cell leaders and you have given up serving today can I encourage you to reignite that passion again serve again Come with your wife, come with your spouse because even as you begin to do that you are actually trusting God and obeying Him and you are availing yourself for the King's, His Majesty's service. So I'm going to open the altar especially those of you who come from other churches. Huh? I know in my spirit that you have been disappointed for one way or another but don't give up, understand? The second category of people especially for this service is for those of you who are older 
You know those people that are called at 5 p.m. is in the twilight of the day, twilight <laughs> of your life. Huh? Alright, so God has not finished with you yet. So you can still serve. So I'm going to open the altar now, especially for this service. For those of you in the older generation, never say, I'm too old. Huh? I'm, I'm, I'm retired. There's no retirement in God's service. Remember that? So I'm going to open the altar. How, you ask me, can I serve? Trust and obey. Trust God. I always say this, as long as I have a breath in my nostril and one calorie of energy, I will serve God. We catch the Spirit, serve Him. So I'm going to open the altar now. Whatever it is, you come before God on the strength of the Word of God that has been released. Receive your hundredfold blessing in this life. Wilma Rudolph, you know all that? That's her hundredfold. Don't you think so? That was her hundredfold. God can do the same to you. It's not finished yet for you. Serve God. Serve God to your dying day. Come, let's sing this song. God is so good. He's so good. So good. So good. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. God will never, never shortchange you, my friend. He will never shortchange you because He's a good God. He's a good God. He's a good God. Sing, let's sing. Let's sing it and let's practice it. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I live favor and anointing, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. Thank the Lord. Thank Him. One more time. One more time. Let's declare it from the bottom of our hearts. music play for a while every one of you before we close would you spend this time connecting with God and turn the place where you stand into a personal altar will you do that do not allow the word of God to go wasted and my prayer is following from last week's message that as the word of God is sown as a seed it will fall on good soil so that it will germinate and again the same principle of, uh, follows you will receive a hundredfold same principle scripture is very consistent you see. it is always in the will of God to give you 100 times hundredfold then maybe you partially obey 60fold then maybe still get 30fold 
but it's always 160, 30 in that order. So God wants to bless you, friend. God wants to bless you a hundredfold. Receive it. So will you spend a moment of quietness before we close?